So some time ago, I heard this story from Ron Bowles. There was this guy, and he, his ship wrecked, and he swam ashore to this island, and he found out very quickly, totally deserted. He was the only one living there, and he lived there alone for a long time. Many years, in fact, he lost track of time, and, but he built the signal fire like you're supposed to do. And one day there's a, a ship going by, and so he lights the signal fire. They send a boat full of people to rescue him, and he's just overwhelmed. You know, his beard is down to here. He's sort of really thin because he hasn't had a lot to eat. And he's telling them the story of what the past years have been like. And they notice that there's four small buildings that he's constructed from driftwood and things like that. And, and he's very proud of the work that he's done on these four buildings. And so they say to him, well, what are these four buildings? And he says, well, the first one here is this, this little modest house I created for me to live in. The second one that's back there a ways, that's my outhouse. The third one is my church where I worship. And they said, okay, well, that's kind of interesting. And they said, well, what's the fourth one? And he said, well, that's the church that I used to go to. Sometimes it can be like that in the church, though, can it? We laugh, but it's kind of sad. And the people that we're going to talk about today, that's kind of where they were. And so if you have your Bible, turn with me to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 17. 1 Corinthians is past the Gospels, past Acts and Romans, and you'll come to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And this morning, we're going to be focusing on the Lord's Supper in an extended way. And we're going to discover together, it's this incredibly meaningful act of worship and appreciation when we come to the communion table. But first of all, we, we're going to talk about Paul and what he wrote to the church at Corinth. And we'll begin there in verse 17 of 1 Corinthians chapter 11. We'll go down through verse 22. Paul says to them, In the following directives... I have no praise for you. For your meetings do more harm than good. In the first place, I, heard, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you. And to some extent, I believe it. No doubt there have to be differences among you to show which of you have God's approval. When you come together, it's not the Lord's Supper you eat, for as you eat, each of you goes ahead without waiting for anyone else. One remains hungry, another gets drunk. Don't you have homes to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you for this? Certainly not. And so there's this competition. There was a number of problems in this church but he, he writes to the church at Corinth and he says, I want to focus in on this particular issue in your church. And there's this competition going on of one-upmanship. Who can be the big shot or the big shots in the church? And presumably, in some warped way, they're thinking this will get them God's approval. And so they're stepping on one another and stepping over one another to sort of hit this checklist that will make them somehow better in God's eyes. And Paul says to them, you don't get it at all. How can you be so mixed up and inappropriate in this area? I'm going to need to go over all of this with you again. Because the church 
and in particular the communion table, the Lord's Supper, is never to be about division. It's to be about what Jesus did for us on the cross. It's to be about a place of coming together, about the most important things in the world, a place of unity, not a place of division, a place of sacrificing for one another. And so we can read in the text there that the church liked to have these love feasts, which we would call potlucks here in North America. And so they would come together, they would have a meal together, and at some point in the meal, maybe in the middle or at the end some point, they would share communion together. And I'm imagining that it started out just really solid, that it was a place where they, they built community, where they were there for one another, where they celebrated and, and worshipped Jesus for all that he had done. But over time, for whatever number of reasons, it had degenerated. And they'd started practicing some really bad habits. I, you know, that so-and-so's late. I'm not waiting for them. I'm just going to dig in. And they would go ahead without them. And pretty soon, most of them were doing that. And, and those that could afford to bring a little better dinner, they, they were thinking, I can, I can eat more than those other people. And some people were drinking way too much. And they were getting drunk. And others were going without food because they were under-resourced in life. And perhaps some of the drunk people were saying things like, you know, I brought, I brought such a nice dish to the love feast. Look at what so-and-so over there brought. How can, they, how can they even show up with something meager like that? Or they didn't even bring anything. How can they eat my good food and try to foist that stuff on me? And this is why the scripture is so clear. Do not get drunk with wine. Because it leads to a lack of self-control, it says in scripture. And all kinds of people get hurt when these things happen. Including the person that's doing the hurting. And this is why scripture is so clear about that. And so he's saying here, you know, people are getting stepped on in an inappropriate way. They're humiliating people that were destitute or under resources. And Paul is going, you guys, come on. We've talked about this stuff. Get with the program. I'm going to need to explain all of this to you one more time. And what the real purpose of coming together at the Lord's Supper and communion really is. So he does that in verses 23 to 26. He says, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. In other words, we've already talked about this. I'm going to do it, do it again. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And so Jesus, it, it's the Passion Week, it's the week leading up to the time where Jesus is going to go to the cross. The Bible says that all of our sin was placed on him and he voluntarily took it. And he went to the cross and he died in our place. And after three days, he rose from the dead, conquering sin and death. But this is the meal just before these things take place, this Passover meal. And in this Passover meal, he does something unique. He, he takes some bread, and he, he, he gives thanks, and some wine. And he breaks the bread, and he takes the wine. And he says, guys, I want to remember why we're here. 
I want you to remember about the mission that my father has sent me on. And it's a history-changing mission. In fact, all of history in human history up until that point has looked forward to this time, this week. And all of history, uh, all that's to come, uh, everything where we are now looks back to that day. That's why we have B.C. and A.D. Because there were some really wise people that understood this fundamental truth. And so he takes some bread and he takes some wine and he breaks it and he says, this is about and is representing my body that is going to be broken for you. And so this very uh, physical act of breaking the bread apart, it, it's, it's a powerful image that my body will be broken for your healing. And so when we contemplate the bread, when we come to the communion table, it's associated with something deeply sacrificial and significant. And the wine or the juices we use um, brings to mind this. He says to them, listen, I'm going to start this new covenant. means a new deal between you and God. And God is the God. The God of the Bible never breaks his word. God never lies, we're told in Scripture. And so he's going to create this new deal between us. And it's represented by my blood that's going to be shed. And, and when we take the juice it reminds us of this deal that God established with us. And Jesus says, I want you to know, I came, this mission that I came for is that I came to die for all the peoples of the world. It doesn't matter what the color of their skin is, what, what their ethnicity is, what their original um, language is, or where they live then or now or whenever. I came to die and to give my life for all of the peoples of the world. And so the communion table is, in, in a very real sense, all about missions as well. That Jesus loves all the people of the world. You know, I've been privileged to go to many places in the world. And here's something I do. Every, every place I go... I make a conscious effort to do this. You know, you see the sights, you do this and that. No, that's good. But here's what I do. I try to lock eyes with at least one person. Whether it's in Amman, Jordan, the little four-year-old girl that was sitting at this desk. She was looking up at me, and I was looking down at her like this. Or in Ciudad del Este in Paraguay, walking down the street, that man. Or at the Wailing Wall in Jerusalem, the young uh, Orthodox Jew, who I, he was about six feet away from me, and we stared very deeply into each other's eyes. I do this in every place I go, whether it's London or Paris or St. Petersburg or Istanbul or Amman, Jordan or Tel Aviv, because lost people matter to God. You know, all the other stuff is just stuff. And it's all nice, you know, the tower here and the building there, all cool stuff. The, the thing that really matters is people created in the image of Jesus. Lost people matter to God. The table reminds us what's really important, that Jesus went to the cross, he conquered sin and death, he rose from the dead, 
so that we can have a relationship with God no matter who we are. He offers that to each single person that would have it. And so it reminds us of this ancient history from a couple thousand years ago. It also remembers, reminds us of the day or that time in our life when we bowed the knee to Jesus. When you come to the table, I, I hope like, like me, you remember that time or that day in your life when you bowed the knee to Jesus and you said, okay, I get it, Jesus. I've done sinful things. The Bible says we've all done this. We're going to read a passage later in the service that reminds us that, that we've all done sinful things. And because of this, we're hopelessly separated from holy God. And the only way that that bridge can be, can be uh, broached or, or completed is, is what Jesus did in dying for us. And so I recognize I've done sinful things. I ask him, based on what he did on the cross, to forgive me. It's unearned. It's unmerited. It's just a gift from him. I receive him as the exclusive, unique savior of my life. But I also say, here's my life. I don't totally get what that means, but I'm surrendering my life to you. You're the, you're the Lord of my life, the master of my life. You set the agenda of my life, and I'm all in for the rest of my life and for all of eternity. So we remember this ancient history from 2,000 years ago, but also what's taken place in our life now. And then verse 26 says, and also there's imagery. It reminds us that one day, verse 26, he will come again. So who should take communion? You don't have to be a member of this church. If you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, in the way I just talked about, if you're part of the family of God, you're so welcome to take communion. Because when you take communion, you're saying before God and before the people here, I affirm these things. These are living realities in my life. I am a biblical believer. The grace of God has transformed my life. And I am deeply grateful for what Jesus has done for me. And how he's changed me. Now having said that, can I just suggest, and I'm not going to suggest, I'm going to say. This is not something to be taken lightly. You never just do this to fit in. And so if you're here this morning, and, and this is the case every week. I meet people all the time that are just on the journey, I call it the journey with Jesus. And they're just checking, you know, maybe they're not even sure at this point if there's a God or not. Or maybe they think, yeah, yeah, there's a God, but this thing with Jesus, this relationship that the Bible talks about, and, and this guy on the platform's talking about, this relationship with Jesus, I, I'm not there yet. I'm just kind of checking that out. I just want you to know, you are so welcome here. This is, it's just so appropriate for you to come and have your questions, or I don't understand this, or what does that mean, or why'd you say that? Um, you're so welcome here. And, and there is not a week that there's not some people like that in our church. I met like three last week. Let me just say to you, I admire your integrity. I admire courage for coming in here. Because we're a bit of a weird bunch. And at least Aaron is. Um, <laughs> I admire the fact that you're here. And you're so welcome. So then he says, he, he kind of loops back to where we began. And he says to them, beginning in verse 27, he says, Look, therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner 
will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. A man ought to examine himself before he eats of the bread and drinks of the cup for anyone who eats and drinks without recognizing the body of the Lord eats and drinks judgment on himself. That's why many of you among you are weak and sick and a number of you have fallen asleep. But if we judged ourselves, we would not have come under judgment. When we are judged by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we will not be condemned with the world. So what he's saying is, he's saying, you know, there's this whole pattern. When we step off the rails with God and we start making decisions we know are wrong, that are not pleasing to God, he starts to try and get our attention. And in my life, you know, he just, uh, he, he turns up the volume. He starts to say, you know, Scott, you know what you've been doing. You've stepped off the rails here. You need to get right with him. And this is not about whether you're saved or not. This is about I'm not living in healthy relationship with him. And so in a progressive way, the church at Corinth has been ignoring what God has said, the individuals. And he's, the message from God is getting stronger and stronger. And here's the message. I love you too much to let you continue on this destructive path, the destructive path to you and to people around you, to, to just trounce on these um, under-resourced people in your church and things like that. And so uh, I'm going to get your attention. And if you're not going to listen, it's going to be a stronger and a stronger message. And it's come to the place now. And this is not a one-off thing. This is a long-term thing. It's come to the place now where you have been rejecting me so much that some of you are weak, some of you are sick, and some of you have even died. Because you refuse to humble yourself. Wrong thing. If we sin and we say, God, help me, help me repent, to ask to, you know, to forgive me for this and to turn, which repentance literally means is, it means a change, a metamorphosis, a change to go in the other, he'll help us do this. He'll cleanse us. He never brings it up again once he has forgiven us. It's not that he forgets, he just never brings it up again. And so this is why it says in verse 28, it's very appropriate as you come to the communion table to just take a pause and to pray something like this. God, and this is one of the reasons we do communion with regularity, to be reminded of what Jesus did, but also to just take this pause and say, has there been any place in my life where I've been disobedient, where I've been negligent in sort of an ongoing way in my relationship with you? See, my experience is this. When I have the courage to pray that kind of prayer, God will either say to me, you know, Scott, it's all okay right now. Or he'll say, Scott, you know that you've done this or these things. Or you've not stepped away, you've not repented from those things. And it's never, like I'll always say, it's never vague, it's never general. What can you do about vague stuff? It's always very specific. Scott, you did this. And when we have the courage to just say, God, would you search my heart? Bible says, search my heart and see if there's any wicked way in me. He'll help you. He'll show you. And then you say, would you forgive me? Would you help me to turn and, and go forward from there? 
our God loves us. And this is what a loving, disciplined father does. And the text tells us that there in about verse 30. And he will gently point us in the right direction. So Paul says, take some personal time before communion. It shows that we take it seriously. It shows that that it has not become empty and ritualistic. The Christian life is never meant to be empty and just some ritual you go through. Wow, that's, that's, that's a dud. It's not meant to be that. Communion reminds us to come and to celebrate Christ. To say, we love you. Thank you for changing my life. I appreciate the fact that I'm truly and deeply forgiven. That is one of the great blessings of life, to know that we're forgiven, that we can be thankful for this. It reminds us that lost people matter to God. And I look into the eyes of those people when I walk down the streets of Lethbridge or I'm in Calgary or whatever, and I'm reminded, these people matter to Jesus. And they should matter to me. That our God, as you often hear me say, is a missionary-minded God. I was taught that from when I was 11 years old. And we are thankful for what Jesus has done for us. That he conquered uh, sin, that he conquered death. And in this very, very personal and intimate way, it makes all the difference for us now. I can say my sin is forgiven not because I deserved it, not because I earned it, but because Jesus gave me forgiveness. And my salvation has been paid for in full. And one day soon, he's coming back. What we're going to do right now is we're just going to take some time to be silent. Two or three minutes. It's just going to be silent. And I'm just going to invite you to process some of these things we've talked about, to let God search your heart by his spirit, to say thank you to him personally and privately for what he's done in your life. So let's go ahead and do this. I'll say amen when we're done.
to step into communion. I'm going to invite the team to come up. The ladies are going to lead us just a cappella. And this is, we didn't prepare for this, so the words won't be on the screen. But if you know the doxology, I'm going to invite you to just sing with them. If you don't, that's okay too. Just maybe close your eyes and just focus in on the words as we share. And the people that are going to help with communion, here they come. We're way ahead of them. Awesome. Praise God from whom all blessings 